Welcome to What Has My Attention, and this is John Beethan. We are continuing the conversation with our three women in strong leadership, Lisa Pachentz, Audrey Holst, and Patty Block. This is the 13th episode in this series with them, and it's titled, How Trust Builds Business, which follows the previous conversation titled, The High Achieving Collaborator. Let's join in now. Hey there, we are live, we are streaming, we are whathasmyattention.com, but we are a whole lot more than that actually because uh, I want to let everybody know that name of this episode, it's live streaming on LinkedIn, but also it's going to be turned, it'll be turned into an audio podcast on what has my attention. The name of this episode is titled How Trust Builds Business. But the other thing I want to let you know is, is that this is episode 13 of some configuration of either one of you or all of us or something like that. And I am going to run down the list, partially for people that uh, didn't know about this, um, how long we've been around. It all started in April with Lisa Pachance. It was titled Women in Strong Leadership featuring Lisa Pachance. So we always blame her for starting this this thing. Um, and then in June, it was Lisa and Jess Lilly. Do you remember that, Lisa? Yeah, I do. And I think we did two episodes, actually, right? Yeah, you and I did an episode, then you did one with Lisa and Jess in June of 2021. Was there another yeah. one with Jess? I forgot. I about. think we did a second one with Jess. Well, shame on me. I got to go <laughs> pick that one up. And, <laughs> and then in November, uh, we brought uh, Patty on. Do you remember? That was beating the broken cookie effect. I remember. And we're still eating cookies. And then later in November, uh, it was Audrey. I think I asked Patty or Lisa, who else do you know? And it was uh, Audrey Holst came on with uh, Fortitude and Flow. Thanks for the recommendation. Yeah. And then in December 2021, um, it was the group. And it was called Leadership, Collaboration, and What's Next? The group, meaning the three of you and myself. And then February 2022, um, it was all of us again, redefining humaning. And then in February, late February, it was service and success, how to have both. And then in March, it was breakdowns and breakthroughs. In May, we released Stepping Into Your Power. In June, we released How to Pioneer in Business. And pending to be released is Business Story Anchor featuring Patty where we talked about it last time, where we just like, she led me through a whole incredible process. And then also pending is the high achieving collaborator, which was what we recorded last month, which led into this episode titled how trust builds business. And I'm going to open it up to everybody. You're welcome to introduce yourself, but I also would like to know how in your mind we got to this episode titled how trust builds business. And you know me, I'm bowing out. The floor is yours. Have a fabulous time. Um, yeah. And make sure that everybody out there visits whathasmyattention.com and reach out to each one of these incredible people. Thank you very much. Also, I think you should like and subscribe this podcast because John does an amazing job. And the more people who know about this stuff, the better the world will be. So shout out to John and his amazing work and his amazing podcast and all the amazing people that he's brought together. Audrey, thank you very much. You're so welcome. And it makes me think of, uh, actually, I was tracking the first episode uh, around collaboration and this, this episode around trust. And uh, I think it was something like collaboration and what's next. And it, it occurs to me that the trust comes over time, the trust is not going to be the first episode of any relationship, podcast, anything, but that trust comes over time through collaboration and relationship. So that's what's on my mind in terms of uh, how we've gotten where we are. And I'm curious what everybody else thinks. Well, while you have the floor, Audrey, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. So I am the founder of Fortitude and Flow and the Perfectionist Archetypes. 
And I work with high achievers and high performers, people who are really good at hustling, at working hard, at getting stuff done, and maybe are having a certain amount of success. You're feeling really good about what you've done, what you are doing, but uh, you may have gotten to a point where you're like, you know what? Um, I thought that I would have arrived by now and I'm feeling like perhaps I've arrived, but I don't feel any different. So uh, if you're somebody who's really good at, at hustling and aren't really sure what to do when you actually quote unquote arrive, or perhaps you have a finish line that keeps running in front of you that you can't keep quite catch, uh, the work I do with Fortitude and Flow is an excellent fit. And uh, my name is Audrey Holst and I will hand things off to Patty. I'm Patty Block. When I was growing up, my mom used to make these fabulous cookies. The whole house smelled good. It was warm. The cookies were gooey. And all my life, I watched my mom eat the broken cookies. But it wasn't until I was a teenager that I even thought to ask her, why do you only eat the broken cookies? Do they taste better? And she laughed and said, no, I eat the broken cookies so you can have the whole ones. And not too long ago, I saw this really shocking statistic. 62% of women rely on their business for their primary income. And 88% of women business owners make less than $100,000 a year. And all of a sudden, this image of my mom eating the broken cookies popped in my head. And I realized that for years and years, since I started this company in 2006, Working with women business owners, I had seen a pattern, but I didn't have language around that pattern. Now I do. I call it the broken cookie effect. And it comes from we undervalue ourselves as women, we underprice our services, and then we overdeliver. I've never met a woman business owner who isn't overdelivering. And that dynamic creates an artificial glass ceiling in our business keeping us artificially limited and sometimes artificially small. So I work with women business owners that are experts in their fields to help them beat the broken cookie effect, to strategically scale their revenue, and to build their company in a way that works for them. So it's really about building your company your way. Thanks, Patty. I really like that, that end sentence as well, building your company your way. Is that the title of your book, Your Company Your Way? It's something similar, and I, it may end up being in the subtitle, but yes. Okay. Okay. Because that just really got me. And I have to say that both of your introductions um, exhibit a lot of trust. Like I, just, I feel very trusting when you speak about yourselves. And of course, I know you and I trust you already, so there's that there. Um, but since this episode is about trust, I also want to point to some things that both of you did that were really valuable. Um, not only did you speak about yourself and your credentials, but you also spoke about why you do what you do, what's important about it. And I think that that, that creates a lot of trust, going back to your passion and your transparency. I'll introduce myself now before I go off in a tangent. <laughs> I'm Lisa Pachens. I am a master certified coach and executive life coach to underfulfilled overachievers. So typically women executives and entrepreneurs who um, have big lives, big ambitions, and big overwhelm. And I'm also a coach for coaches. I've been in this work for about 10 years. I've been lucky enough to enter coaching in my mid to late 20s. And uh, similar to, to Patty, I found the statistics about um, coaches and specifically female business owners to be completely criminal. 82% um, of coaches close their doors permanently after two years. And the average income of coaches is $34,000 a year. Crazy. It, it's absolutely mind boggling to me, especially in a worldwide global um, lens of polarization, of isolation, of embattling ourselves in in issues and not being able to communicate or come to the same table. And I think this this goes for men as well as women, but I, I'm particularly flying the flag of female entrepreneurs being able to bring our power and our talents to the table and doing so in such a way that both gives, we're able to serve others as well as receive and have a business that supports us in our lifestyle. 
So I am Lisa Vicence. My business is LP Coaching, Life on Purpose. I guess this would be a good time to talk about trust, right? And what brings trust to the table today? Yeah, any any thoughts on where we started versus where we are in terms of our first episode around collaboration and our, our current episode around trust? 13 episodes of between all of us is pretty amazing, pretty big. Mm -hmm. Patty, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I really wanted to hear your tangent. You started, <laughs> you started in one direction and then you stopped to introduce yourself. So I want you to finish your thought. <laughs> oh gosh. What, what was I speaking to? Oh, trust and your why. So let's see if I can, I can connect the dots prettily. So I think that this series of podcast episodes is, is a great example of generating trust from, from your why and from your passion, because all three of us come to the table, and even John, he comes to the table with a set of ideas, and we're all from different places, different backgrounds, different ages. And yet, because we're, we're providing, we're, we're giving trust, we're exemplifying trust, we're modeling trust for each other, and we're bringing, um, a lot of self-trust to the table, we're able to have these conversations where, I mean, most of the time, luckily we align on our, on our ideals, but we also are able to have conversations that are really rich and broadening and, and deep. And, you know, there, there were, I, I can remember moments where we don't necessarily disagree, but there are different takes of the same topic and because we trust each other, because we come to the table already giving a gift of trust, we're able to have these conversations of openness where we don't actually conflict, but we build on each other. I think that that's a huge, it's, it's, it's hugely unique. We don't, I don't find that everywhere. Um, and so I, I, I think that trust, trust is a gift. I think it it can it can be given without evidence. And when you give trust, when you allow trust to enter the space before you and allow others to give that trust in return, then we can have conversations and relationships like this. And not everyone deserves your trust too, so please be discerning. But um, I, I find it such a such a gem to be able to have this this type of group and to be able to do these podcasts together. I'm curious, Lisa, um, I'd be interested in, in maybe going around with each of us and just defining trust or perhaps how we recognize it or some version of that, because sometimes with words, mm -hmm. I know that people will say the same word, but have different concepts or definitions or histories uh, relating to trust. So I'm curious how you might define it or, or see it or identify it personally. That's a good question. Since I've been talking a lot, can you take the mic and then I'll think about it and give my answer? Sure. Uh, so the first, uh, the first thing that that came to mind was a. So if you're watching this on live stream, you may have seen that I've got a cat that's pacing back and forth on my desk. So, for a little bit of background, uh, my nephews visited this week. Uh, they literally just left. So I'm I'm like literally coming from brunch with my nephews to <laughs> to this podcast interview, and. Um, and so uh, the cat is used to just my husband and I in the house. We're very quiet, very lazy. She She's just used to us. She trusts us. My nephews are five and eight and are very energetic and rambunctious and excited. And she was like, absolutely not. Nope. She ran upstairs and she hid in the corner of our closet for basically the entire time they were they were here. We were we were out and about. We went camping, so she had the whole house to herself. She was fine, but um, when they were running around, she hid herself in the closet. Um, but by the last day, like I came home this morning and she was on the third step, and she was like kind of checking things out. So I feel like that's kind of a you know depending on depending on your personality, depending on your history, you may be the kind of person or cat that like, as soon as somebody walks in the door, you're like, Hey, cool. And, and you, maybe you, you, you are automatically on board with that person. You believe what they say you're on board with it. You, you believe, you believe them. Basically you believe in them as a person, you believe the stories they tell and you say, yeah, if you say that's true, I believe you. Or maybe you're like our cat who's like, 
I don't know about you. Like, I got to check you out a little bit. I got to be around you. I got to see if the words that you're saying match up with your actions. And then I'm going to know whether I can believe you. So I, for me, a trust is a sort of, do I believe what you say? Do I, do I um, think that the, what, the words you say, how you appear as a human being, your actions, um, your nervous system, are all those things congruent? Because I feel like then I, I feel like I can trust, using that word trust, I believe what's going on here, all my senses, all the data matches up to something that makes sense to me. So that's my story and my, my big definition of how I would define trust. Lisa, you want to? Yeah. Sure. So I think I want to define trust starting with one of the coaching core competencies. So co coaching core competency number three is called trust and safety. So generating trust and safety with your clients. And I think a lot of times trust and safety come in the same package. Like when we trust, we feel safe. And when we feel safe, we tend to trust. But I think there is a, a slight, there, there's a slight nuanced difference to the two. Safety for me is defined as a non-judgmental space. You are mentally, physically, emotionally secure in that space. There's a lot of conversation around psychological safety in companies and that being one of the predominant um, performance factors. Um, being able to, to say what you say, be who you be, and not have that come back to, to bite you or be held against you. Trust is similar, but it's more of a, it's within relationship. You can be safe and be alone and trust comes within a person to person dynamic. It, it looks like I got you and you got me. And it reminds me a lot of high performing athletic teams. You have, you have to trust each other. I played soccer at a high level starting at a young age. And when, when you are, when you are on the field in a game, let's say you, you know, you're in a scrum and you're going up for a head ball, you need to trust that your other teammate has got your back literally and figuratively that when you come down, you will have people around you to help you and support you and vice versa. You are there for other people. And so there's this, there's this sense of um, camaraderie that comes with trust. And there's also a vulnerability to it. I think that when we give trust, we open ourselves up to being vulnerable. And we also offer the plate of vulnerability to others as well, that you can be who you are you can say what you say, and it will be received. And how about you, Patty? Oh, go ahead, Audrey. Did you have something? No, I was just gonna. I'm. I'm I feel like Patty is always listening and like bringing it all together, and then she'll. She's just gonna mic drop us right now. So oh. <laughs> I'm curious to see what's gonna happen. No pressure. Uh, I do want to put a spin on this, and Audrey knows me well. So I agree with what you've both said, that all fits with what I believe about trust. What I think is that, um, so the spin I want to put on this is about trusting ourselves. And I agree that there is an issue of person to person, building that trust and maintaining it. I was raised that your words are much less important than your actions and they have to match, right? If you're gonna be, if you're gonna operate with integrity, that what you do and what you say have to match and you have to mean it. So I was raised with this kind of motto of, I say what I mean and I mean what I say. And that has guided me through my whole life. So, and I really appreciate talking with and working with people who feel the same way because I'm not going to let anybody down. And if I'm working with people who have that same mindset, I'm not going to get burned or let down. So that's something that I'm often looking for. But what I think is really missing is, especially for women, is trusting ourselves. That means trusting our intuition, our powers of perception, 
And I do make a distinction there because intuition is about tuning into yourself and your powers of perception are about tuning into others. And we have those gifts, but we often don't use them in business because we have this misunderstanding, I think, that the corporate model, that very male-dominated, it was created for men by men, that model doesn't appreciate the intuitive and perceptive powers of women. So then we go out and we create our own businesses and we copy that model. And we question, especially when it comes to pricing and sales and things that we might think of as controversial, we start to question ourselves and doubt ourselves. And so that's the spin I'd like to talk about today is I agree building trust with others is critical and we're all pretty good at that. And part of that is because we do make sure that we say what we mean and we mean what we say, and we're not going to let others down. But, you know, when I go back to the broken cookie effect, what happened to mama? Mama lives on crumbs, right? And when we talk about trust and trusting ourselves and our intuition, what happened to mama? And I see that a lot. And I'm curious, Audrey, Lisa, do you see the same things? And have you experienced that? I know I have in my business. I've experienced tremendous self-doubt, tremendous uh, logical thinking when I should be trusting my intuition. So what are your experiences? Audrey, you want to follow the mic drop? <laughs> no, I love this. And I, I, this is, again, this is my experience of you, Patty, and this is my, you know, trust that I'm like, there's never any pressure because I just know that the way that you, you, your breadth of experience and the way that you see things and put the pieces together, just, it always comes out interesting. So I 100% agree. I think this is a great, uh, a great direction for this. And the first thing that comes to mind is the conversation that I'm often having with clients around um, what they should or shouldn't need. There's a lot of conversations around, um, I shouldn't be like, I shouldn't have to, I shouldn't need this. I shouldn't, there's a lot of comparison. So uh, people have the, right, we're, we're social beings. And so there's the often like, what are other people doing? What's the quote unquote social norm? Uh, what is the societal norm? And how do I fit into that? Is what I am experiencing in alignment. And there is a lot of, um, and self-doubt is not the word that I would use, although I, I totally see it and understand it. There is a standard and, uh, and I work with a lot of perfectionists, people who have, who orient towards perfectionism. And there's a certain standard of, I should be able to, and right, we can say all we want to talk about. If you use the word should, then probably there's an issue there, right? That's, that's a very common thing. If you're saying the word should, then there's probably, that's probably a time to throw up the red flag and go, all right, whatever comes after that is probably an issue, but go on. Um, you know, I shouldn't need, I shouldn't feel this tired. I should, there's this kind of concept that I should be able to work forever and ever and never be tired, or I shouldn't be exhausted by all of these things that I just listed off that are totally exhausting. I shouldn't need to have time for myself. I shouldn't need this. I shouldn't. So it's people who, whose bodies and systems are giving them the correct information, right? It's, it's communicating fatigue. It's communicating need for sleep. It's communicating need for food. It's communicating need for a break. It's communicating all of these things. Uh, but because the, what I think is right, right? The cognitive, what I think is right. And what the message that's coming up are not lining up in the way that I want them to line up. I'm kind of pushing down the, the, the bodily information. Cause that's clearly not right. That's not correct. I can push myself. I can use my big brain to push myself through. So that is, that's, uh, one of the things that I see a lot in my work and a lot of that, the, the work that I do is that starting to close the gap between the cognitive stuff, the perception of who I think I am or what I need to do, or, you know, the, um, the embodiment of working hard and being successful 
And the concept of when I when I start talking to people about well, what about success and ease, how can those two things exist together? And that becomes a new puzzle, which their body's like, I don't understand that. That doesn't make any sense to me. But again, this is like the trust of this is correct because there are so many mixed messages, like you said, systems that were built a very particular way by very particular people. And if you are not one of them, or even if you are one of them, it's not necessarily built for human beings. That's kind of what I want to say. <laughs> so that's how I would uh, I would interpret that. And Lisa, I imagine Lisa probably has some similar uh, similar and different things to say about that. Yes. Well, I think that I, I want to start with um, answering Patty's question. Do I see that often? The self trust issue among women entrepreneurs and. 150,000%. Yes, absolutely. I'd say that with, with the work that I do with high-performing women, specifically women business owners, most of what I do comes down to two things, self-trust and self-love. And the self-love piece shows up in the um, always serving, 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 and not prioritizing ourselves, putting ourselves last, not leaving much except for the crumbs or um, being perceived as unworthy or unlovable. I think that being able to prioritize ourselves uh, and, and um, be in integrity with our needs just as heartily as anyone else is, is really important. That ties into self-trust. And I think self-trust shows up in so, in so many ways. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've had clients that come to me um, for a sample session and say, I wish I had more confidence or I want more confidence in X, Y, and Z. I want to get promoted. I want to have more clients. I want to be able to handle objections. I want to be able to um, raise my prices. I want to be able to go on social media without self-doubt. The opposite of non-confidence isn't confidence, it's trust. I think it's both trust and courage, actually. So behind this desire for, for confidence, for self-belief, I think that all stems from the practice of trusting ourselves. And I really think that it's a practice. It's not an on and off switch. It's something that you develop. And I definitely think we need to do another podcast on intuition and business because it's similar but different to trust. So John, please bookmark that for later. <laughs> you know, when we're, when we're practicing trust, we're able to start listening to things like our values, like what price tag does work for us instead of what we think we should be charging or what we're not charging because we're unworthy or lovable. I hit this, um, I hit this plateau in my business um, around my pricing where one coach was telling me I should charge three times as much. And so I tried that and it, it didn't feel right to me. And I was saying, okay, well, maybe I just need to do it some more and say my price some more. And I was getting hired at that rate, but it, it still didn't feel right. And I couldn't figure out why. And it was because, and I don't have complete wording for this. It was an intuitive hit. It was that that price tag didn't really work for me. I didn't feel good about that. And I didn't take up my old price tag. I fit in something new. And then I started doing other things with higher price tags. But to me, that was self-trust. It was saying, okay, well, Someone says I'm overcharging and someone says I'm undercharging <laughs> and I say it's somewhere in the middle, but it was practicing that value of intuition and honestly not giving so many fucks what other people think and what other people say. I think that self-trust is also unbelievably valuable when honoring objections in our potential clients. When we have someone lined up to buy a product or to potentially hire us for something being able to trust ourselves that we'll be able to get more leads if this person doesn't work out, being able to trust ourselves that uh, that we can that we can say what we need to say, and you know if this person doesn't like it or if this person likes it, it, it doesn't matter. But I think that that practice of non-attachment and being able to be in. Uh, a potentially confronting or uncomfortable conversation, it, I think it creates power. Self-trust creates power, um, especially especially for women who are notoriously underpowered in our society. Um, so that's just a couple places 
where I look, but I, I can't tell you how pervasive self-trust is in my conversations with women. It, sh- it shows up at least once a day in my clients. Well, and I'd like to build on that. You were talking a little bit about prospective clients. So, and you've probably heard me say this before. One of my beliefs and one of the things that I see in terms of patterns is that we believe as small business owners, as women business owners, we believe that anyone who comes to us is an ideal buyer. And if they're not, we can change them. So they become an ideal buyer. It's kind of like when we were dating, right? And anybody who showed interest is the one. I'm muted, but I am just making sounds over here, Patty. Go on. And if they're not the one, we can change them. So they become the one. Well, we do that in our sales process too. And that is when we stop listening to our intuition. It's when we stop tuning in to the other person, which is that perceptive ability, and we start ignoring red flags. And I think we as humans do that because we're so hopeful that this is going to come about. And it isn't even for the revenue. Revenue is great, but it's really about validation right? So I want someone to buy from me because then I feel validated. I feel like, of course, they want what I have. Of course, they want to work with me. Of course, they see the value, right? So all of these things feed our ego. And it's not a bad thing. But I think it becomes problematic when we stop listening to our intuition and our powers of perception of what's really happening with the other person, what's really happening in this conversation, and why am I ignoring those red flags? And that then comes back to bite us because we end up taking on clients. We're not the right fit for that client, or they're not the right fit for us, or they turn into a super high maintenance client. So we have no profit on working with that client. And we're attracting the wrong people. So it's a very circular process. And I see that as a really important pattern that I I worry about. And I actively work towards helping women understand what is your power? What is the, the gift that you bring? to your conversations, to your interactions, to your prospective clients, to your current clients. What is the real value of what you're bringing? And it is not just your expertise. It starts with your expertise, but there's so much more that we're overlooking. And again, we're not raised to talk about ourselves, or if we do, we think it's bragging. But it's not bragging if it's true. And Every woman I've ever worked with or talked with, what they're saying is true about their expertise and their experience and what they believe about themselves. But they're not talking about the value that they really bring, what I consider a hidden advantage. And that's, I think over the years, I think I've gotten much clearer on that's really the work I do, is I help women recognize and understand their hidden advantage. I It occurs to me, um, before we get too far away from it, can you talk about red flags, Patty? Because that's a phrase that a couple of, that I think each of us have used at least once. And I feel like a red flag and trust seem like part of the same conversation. I think that that's another term that we need to discuss a little bit, if you're open to starting us off on that one. You bet. And I do think that's really important. And I do think it's linked to trust. As women, we tend to give trust like we give the whole cookie. And because of that, we tend to get hurt. And we kind of set ourselves up. And so ignoring the red flags is another symptom of that. That we want to trust and believe everyone. We want to believe they have good intentions. We want to believe they're an ideal buyer and they'll be an ideal client. And that's, it's what I call the hope factor, right? We hope, but it's really hard to run your company on hope. So I have what I call yellow flags and red flags. Yellow flags are those little kind of in the back of your mind, you're worried 
something they said or something about a past experience they've talked about is just kind of piquing your curiosity. And you start to wonder, they've worked with three other business advisors before me. So is there something there I should be paying attention to? The red flag is when you get the answer to that question, that curiosity. The red flag is when they've worked with three other business advisors and they give me a litany of reasons that there was something wrong with the other people. That is a red flag because it's about the dynamic, not the person. And it's also about their decision-making. So did, did the prospect choose the wrong people? Does that mean that their decision-making is somehow questionable? That's a red flag to me because I like to work with people who are very action-oriented, who get good information and they make good decisions and they take responsibility for those decisions. I don't want to work with someone who's blaming others, right? That doesn't align with what the work that I do and what I believe. So yellow flags raise the question, red flags are the answer to the question, but we start to rationalize and we think, oh, but I'm so different than those other business advisors. So I shouldn't even pay attention to that. I shouldn't worry about that. And we talk ourselves out of it all in our own heads, all silently, all in a split second, and we talk ourselves out of paying attention to the red flags because we want the validation, we want the money, we want the, maybe there's an intrinsic value to having this particular client. We want all those things. They're not bad things, but this dynamic often works against us. Holy moly, that was so damn good. It was so good. Um, I want to point out that this is such an important piece to this conversation because what I'm hearing um, around red, red and yellow flags is the category of when do we trust and when do we not trust? And the phrase that comes up for me is trust but verify. So that's really important. Sorry, I just wanted to pause. I think this is, su this is such a good bookmarked part of the conversation. Audrey, I'd love to hear what, what you think around red flags. Well, is there anything else you want to add to that, Lisa, while you're on it? Because I, I don't, I honestly don't have that much more to add. I mean, I think Patty's definition and description was so clear. I'm like, I don't really have much more to add to that. <laughs> um, I think to build on that, I want to underline the yellow flag concept because I think that points back to the intuition. I'm a very felt sensory person. That's my. That's the first thing that goes out for me. Something doesn't feel right. Something doesn't feel right in my body, in my emotions, um, in my re regulatory nervous system. And for a very, very long time, I just ignored that. I operated on top of it. I pushed it aside. My mom, who was my primary caretaker, was very, I mean, she's, she's a doctor. She's brilliant brilliant woman comes from a line of mathematicians. And so she's extremely logical. And I just don't operate that way. I'm very felt and um, sensory. So I think it's so important for us not to ignore our intuitive hits, not necessarily to listen to it, because there's a difference between intuition and impulsive. The impulsive would be, oh, it doesn't feel right, do the opposite of which might not necessarily be true. It could just mean like verify, hey, this person who, who wants to hire you, something doesn't feel right or something feels off. I wanna ask you some more questions about this. You've had a couple of coaches before you. What was that about? Like what came up for you there? And maybe it was a matter of like, you know, I need to stop hiring my family members and my friends. I need to hire someone who isn't that. Like. All right, I am on board with that. Thank you for verifying that you are now more trustworthy in my book. <laughs> Do not work with friends and family unless you have a very clear agreement. You know, with, with that said, I think self-trust, again, I think it goes back to practice, noticing where those yellow flags are. And, a lot, and for me, a lot of times it's in hindsight. I have to learn from, oh, this didn't go right. 
And it, and this is when it wasn't feeling right. It was actually beforehand. There were some red flags. There was a canary in the coal mine somewhere. And I wasn't paying attention because my usual mechanism of operating on top of pushing it aside, just grinning and bear it, suck it up, all those things, you know, were, were covering that. So I think for women being discerning about how situations have gone, not from a judgmental place, but from, hmm, this didn't work. And where did I start noticing it didn't work? Oh, that's my intuition. That's where I can start to trust myself. That where, that's where I can verify and get curious and ask questions. Hey, like what's going on over here? Can you answer these questions? Like, can we go a little deeper? And I, for me, that was the biggest shift in my ability to handle and honor objections with potential clients. It was the ability to say like, oh, that's really interesting. It sounds like money is worthiness for you. Or it sounds like um, you don't invest in yourself unless, you know, it's somehow like the perfect deal or guaranteed. Like, what, what's that like for you? And to just be curious about it. But I had to really trust myself and trust uh, my radar. Okay. And now I have a whole bunch of thoughts. Okay. First thing is... Um... I do want to, because it, you just mentioned it, handling uh, handling objections. I have some mixed feelings about that terminology and how I've seen this used in manipulative ways. And again, I think this comes back to trust. And I see if you're not if you're not seeing the the, the visuals on this, there's some there's some nodding here, and at least especially is nodding Absolutely. and thumbs upping. And so, um, I, I think when we're talking about handling objections, uh. Again, I know everybody on this call well enough to know that nobody on here is doing any sort of manipulative tactics in terms of convincing anybody to buy anything from anybody, right? That's not what we're talking about. We're not saying, oh, you're completely broke and you can't afford me. Well, let me find ways for you to magically find this money and put yourself into debt so I can get paid. We're not we're not talking about that sort of stuff, right? We're not talking about these sort of tactics. So I just felt like I need to say that in terms of, because I think when people talk about handling objections, there's... There are some people that maybe are not talking about are using are not using that in necessarily a way that's filled with integrity. So and I know when Lisa talks about that, she's not she's talking about saying integrity and, and being curious and being honest and making sure the conversation is benefiting everybody involved and that the relationship and um, everything is 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 benefiting everybody involved. So I just want to put that out there. And I think the other thing that's really interesting too. Lisa and I and this is a this is something that I totally agree with and I also see uh, I've seen it myself and I've seen this with clients too is that that like lag time in trust that like it's kind of that whole thing where maybe something weird happens in an it's like the things you wish you had said to the person in the elevator like five hours later, you know, you're like sitting down later and you're on your couch. I mean, dude, I'm not sure if people who ride in elevators anymore, like where we are and it's like, people don't even get in elevators with each other anymore. But it's like one of those things where, well, I wish I had said, right. It's like your brain starts five hours later, kind of spinning all the things they wish. It, I wish I had said this in the moment. And I have had moments where I'm so, I've been so with another person during an interaction that I'm not actually tracking how I feel about what's happening, right? I'm really good at, at like getting in some other person's world and sort of figuring out what's going on over there. What happened with the problem with this is, and this happens with a lot of people that I work with, right? Because a lot of the times we're working with people who have similar histories, makeups as ourselves, it can lose the connection to me. I can start to miss those signals that my body is telling me about this individual. And then when the dust settles, two hours later, I'm like, oh, you know that thing they said? I don't know. I don't know about that. Right. Then the, uh, when, when I'm kind of back in my own system, now I'm starting to kind of think about those things that aren't quite sitting well with me. And this is something that clients will say too, sometimes where they'll be like, I blew up in the moment and I, I like didn't have the capacity to like do anything about it. I blew up in the moment. And then like two hours later, I was like, okay, this is what I could have done differently, but they just weren't able to do anything differently in that moment. Right. And a lot of that comes down to that uh, but what you were saying, Lisa, that being present in the moment, a lot of it is the nervous system work is is like being present with yourself. How much are you with somebody else? How much are you with yourself? So there's there's just a lot. This is a big conversation that trust is not just a word. It's not just a concept. It is a whole history, right? We have a whole history with ourselves in trust 
where trust has been eroded in ourselves by other people, right? Where we thought something was accurate and somebody else said, no, 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 that's not right. And we believe them instead of believing ourselves, right? There's all of these layers. So um, yeah, it's just super, super interesting. And thanks for letting me uh, clarify that too around the conversation. I saw you come off of mute, Lisa, if you wanted to. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you said the thing around handling objections because as always, I, I don't know if you noticed, but I used handling and honoring because I'm yes, I'm, so, thank you. I'm actually uncomfortable with handling yeah. for that reason that you mentioned because it handling objections has been hijacked through manipulation and scarcity that to Patty's point um, before this idea that everyone who has an objection should work with you and that's just not true at all. I think that honoring the objection is more important, certainly is more important to me. And again, it comes back to that intuitive self-trust piece. Um, and of course, experience. I'm not in scarcity anymore in my business by any means. And so I can have a wide open space. But for me, it's much more important to honor the objection and to have the person leave empowered regardless of their choice. That That is the most important thing for me. How, how can he or she leave empowered? Is it, an, is it uh, an empowered yes or a disempowered yes? Is it an empowered no or a disempowered no? And I think for that reason, now um, very consistently I'll have people who, you know, now is just not the right time. And absolutely, I, I completely honor that. Let's empower you. And then that person will either refer their friends or refer someone else or they'll come back five years later and say, hey, remember that conversation five years ago? And I have to look it up in my notes because I'm like, I don't remember you, but oh yes, now I remember you. <laughs> yeah, I think honoring the other person is really important. And you know, one other piece to trust that I want to put in that you just brought up for me, Audrey, is trusting the process. Hmm. So trusting the process, um, to me means uh, it's, it's almost like a, like a trusting the universe and trusting our own process that let's say, you know, we, we do have a blow up and we do get irritated or we do get triggered, trusting that the process of us, okay, coming down and taking a look at it and learning from it is going to be valuable to you instead of freaking the F out that you just freaked the F out <laughs> and going, wow, I just, you know, screwed everything up. Now, you know, I have to start at ground zero and I'm screwed. So trusting the process to me is, is huge, especially in the first couple years of the of business, you know, which comes up with a lot of, a lot of other necessary things as well, like having the, having the right people around you, having the right process, being able to be agile, things like that. But I wanted to put that in too. Patty, what are your thoughts? You've been nodding and brewing for a while. Yeah, um, so trusting the process. I wanna bring up a somewhat different concept, but I think it all ties together. So I have observed that um, there's something called the good girl's dilemma. And I grew up as a good girl, follow the rules, do what I'm told. Did y'all grow up? Okay. You both grew up as good girls. Yeah. And, and it's not a pejorative term. That is, we, we grew up understanding our world through achievement, through doing what we quote should do, what we're expected to do. But for the three of us and for lots of women out there, it's not about meeting expectations. It's about exceeding expectations. That also ties into the over-delivering, right? Because we want to do more than is expected of us, okay? So the good girls have a dilemma because we are raised that way. Those are society's norms, especially in Western culture. And we get to a certain point in our lives where either something happens that shakes that, that whole concept for us, or we realize there's a different way of operating. So for me, my moment of realization is I'm all of a sudden 35 years old, have a surprise divorce and three kids. That was my moment of realization because I'm thinking, but I did everything right. 
what did I do wrong that I'm in this situation? How could this happen to me? Right? And every good girl reaches that point at some point. And John, in fact, in a previous interview, asked me if I thought the divorce was a defining moment in my life. And I immediately answered no, because I don't think a defining moment can be determined by somebody else's decision. However, what was a defining moment for me in that whole situation was how I got back up. I got knocked down. I had to close my political consulting business. I had to get a job. I had to come up with a plan because I knew I was on my own to raise these three humans. And that was my defining moment of figuring out my plan, how I was going to move forward, and how I was going to raise good humans. I've now done that. My kids are grown. They're all in their 30s. They're very accomplished. They're all three business owners. I've done what I set out to do, and my my goals in terms of my family have shifted. Now, of course, I help take care of my mom. I do a lot of other things where I'm involved with my family, but my ability to focus has shifted because now I can focus specifically on what I want, what, what I need, and what I want to do for my business, right? And the mission of my business is, is empowering other women business owners. So the good girl's dilemma can keep us very stuck because we think we need to follow the rules and we need to do it that somebody else magically has the answer. And we need to find that person or that process or that program to get the right answer. And what I've learned in my life experience and in helping many, many women business owners, there is no right answer. There is only your right answer. And that is really, that goes back to the hidden advantage. It goes back to how do you grab the whole cookie? How do you solve this problem of the good girl's dilemma? Because it likely is not serving you. And I want to qualify that by saying some of the elements like following the rules and becoming high achieving, highly educated, there are benefits to being a good girl, but there are also some downsides and we rationalize those away. And so for me, what I realized is, okay, now I'm forging my own path, going back to pioneering in business, one of our previous topics. Now I'm forging my own path. I'm helping women find their hidden advantage and forging their own path, figuring out how to run their business their way. However, the good girl doesn't go away. It's what I call the ghost of the good girl. And so she keeps manifesting. So I was in a program just recently and somebody asked us to fill in the blanks in a spreadsheet. And my first thought was, oh, I have to find the right answer. What is the right answer? It is so ingrained in me. That goes back to trusting myself and trusting that I have to figure out my right answer. And that's what I help other women do as well. So it was a little bit of a circuitous route to get here, but I wanted to share that with you because, first of all, I recognized in both you, Lisa, and you, Audrey, I figured that you grew up as a good girl and we are so aligned in our thinking, although we're coming at it from three different perspectives, and it's what makes these conversations so fascinating to me. However, I'm really curious what your experience has been about being a good girl, if you have found a way to forge your own path, or if you still, like many of us, fall into that trap of, there's got to be a right answer, and it's my job to find it. We might have to save this for a different day because <laughs> I have a lot to say about the confines of growing up in a rules-based world. And I think that 
for women is a lot more uh, relevant than for men. Uh, there was a there was a talk I think by Angela Duckworth that spoke to women being or men being raised to break the rules and women being raised to abide by the rules. And so a lot I think a lot of women grow up either trying to do the right thing in order to receive love, in order to receive validation, in order to um, comfort ourselves or resisting and becoming the rebel and the wild woman. And I, I'm oversimplifying here, but um, I think it's a very societal thing. And it's something that I will, I will have an ongoing breakthrough for life around. I don't think our survival mechanisms ever disappear or go away. It just becomes a lot more effortless to manage. Any rapid fire thoughts, Audrey? Um, well, first of all, I'm I'm on mute, and I, there's been a lot of snapping, clapping, laughing, all sorts of emoting from me over here, um, which is uh, unfortunate for all. That's actually probably fortunate that I've been muted because they're probably hard to hear people over my sounds over here. Um, I, it occurs to me that there's some future episode that's something about like the good girl entrepreneur or something like that because I feel like that is that's a whole conversation. Um, I think the the thing that's the the, for lack of a better term, the sort of pithy takeaway um, that I have is how important it is to uh, reconnect with ourselves, our physicality, our bodies, our nervous systems, the signals within us. Because if we're not orienting towards a system outside of us, if we are not orienting towards somebody else's rule book, it, where, what do we orient to, right? It's like when I ask a client, you know, they say, well, I want to you know, I don't want to be stressed anymore. Okay. Well, what do you want? How do you want to feel? Well, I don't, I want to feel not stressed. Okay. But that's not, not stressed though. That is not a thing. What is the thing we're orienting towards? We can't turn away from something and magically turn towards something else if we don't name it. Right. So it's like, okay, if we're orienting away from these things that we don't want, we have to be very clear in what we do want so that we can orient towards that. And I think a lot of that comes with the reconnecting with our bodies, reconnecting with our nervous systems so that we can tap into intuition so that we can start to rebuild trust and find even that feeling of trust. If it's something that we maybe, maybe is even foreign to us, right? You may feel like self-trust is kind of a foreign thing that you've been searching for. I certainly have had that in myself. You know, I've done the good girl thing and I've done the rebellion thing. I've done all those different, and even the rebellion thing is a, well, I don't like this. So I'm turning away and running in the other direction over there. Right. So that's, it's, again, it's just us trying to figure stuff out, which is normal and human. Um, but yeah, my, my pithy takeaway is it is so important to find the thing to orient towards. And a lot of that I think is getting back in tune with the information that your body and your, your brilliant system is giving you is extremely valuable and, and worth listening to. So um, but I yeah, think I that's a future one. I think that's an excellent point, Audrey. And uh, it makes me think a lot about what do you orient to? Cause you can only orient to things that you're aware of, that you know about, that you've seen or experienced. And Again, when we think about that corporate model, that's what a lot of us know. That's all we know. That's what we've grown up with. So it's really hard to trust your intuition, to orient yourself, not just bodily, but your mind, your thinking, right? And, and that is a huge challenge for women. And I'd love to be able to come up with some language around that because it is, it's really a huge challenge. I can't think of a word or a phrase that fits what most women want. Can y'all? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what you're, what you mean, Patty. Will you say more? Yes. So if you want to feel not stressed, right, you're feeling a lot of stress or you overwhelm, burnout, what is the opposite of that? What do you want to orient to? To say I want to be happy is silly, right? Because no one is happy all the time. That's not how life works. To say I want to be calm. Okay, well, not being calm can help you in certain circumstances, right? So a fire alarm is meant to get you worried so that you take action and you do something. 
that's true of a lot of things. So you don't want to be calm all the time. What do you want to be? Do you want to be fulfilled? Do you want to be satisfied? Do you want to be, I don't know. I don't know what the language is. I think we use some placeholders, like I use fulfilled. You want to feel proud and fulfilled of your business, of your life, of your accomplishments. But I'm not sure those are really as descriptive as I wish they were. I completely, <laughs> completely agree with this. Um, I do think our next episode has to be something around the good girl or like, you know, the good girl or the great girl, something, something pithy like that. Patty, I, I think the thing that is really hitting the nail on the head for me is this, that self-trust is tied into self-awareness. We have to be able to nurture self-awareness in order to figure out what trust means for us and then what that gives us access to on the other side. Oftentimes, feel like I want to feel differently. I want to feel calm, peace, happiness is a fix, It's not, it, but it doesn't actually address the the genesis of the thing, the experience we want of life. Usually it's, a, yeah, it's some form of, well, fulfillment, or I want to like live a, live a life of, um, you know, unity. I want to, I want to be connected. I want to be fueled by love or, but it's more of the, the life experience instead of the feeling and feelings will come and go. So trust as an anchor, I think is so important to anchor us through the feelings of the up and down instead of riding that wave. I think I might be able to bring us home because I know we're about the hour, but because this, I think this this piece uh, I imagine is going to come up in our next episode because I have a feeling and you can, you can validate or not validate my statement here. I am not offended either way. If you completely disagree, please disagree. But there, uh, the thing that is, that is uh, occurring to me here is People will say, okay, I, I want to experience more peace. And what can happen is the people that I work with, at least, and I imagine you were both probably seeing something similar, is they have a taste of that, but their system is not used to peace being a good thing. It actually means that they're lazy and not doing anything in some capacity in their systems. So they can only actually stay in that feeling for a half a second before they have to go sprinting back to working hard and hustling because that's what their system feels is safe. That hard work is totally cool. But this like relaxing piece, actually their system is interpreting as a bad thing. This is not good to be doing this. So even though intellectually I want to be having peace or I want to feel peaceful or calm, my system goes, eh, I don't know about that. I think you're being lazy. I think that something bad's going to happen. So how do we start moving towards the things that we want, getting away from this good girl situation and starting to work through the guilt, because I think that's one of the big things that comes with orienting away from the good girl syndrome. I don't know that that was the word you, syndrome. I don't know that the dilemma, the dilemma. Thank you. The, I'm like, I knew it wasn't a disease term, <laughs> the dilemma of the good girl, because I feel like that one of the stumbling blocks or one of the milestones that comes through is the guilt that comes with doing something different than what you're currently doing. So I feel like there's going to be something in, in there for the future for us. And I don't disagree with that. I agree with what you're saying, but I want to make one qualifier. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you shouldn't be a good girl because again, I think there are benefits to the way we're raised, discipline, high achievement, you know, getting our education. All of those things are benefits. But I think of being a good girl like being an introvert or an extrovert. That is your nature. It is also how you were conditioned and that ship has sailed. <laughs> so you're not going to change your nature. I don't want you to change your nature, but I do want you to become aware of some of the pitfalls of your nature so that you have choices and you can do things differently. You can, and the main issue for me is to stop thinking everybody else has the answer, some magic answer. It, that just isn't the case. And when you start figuring out how you want to move your life forward your way, what works for you, what feels right, what gives you what you really want, figuring out what you really want, 
And your business is an important part of that. That's what I mean when I'm talking about the good girl's dilemma. It's not that you're going to change your nature. It's that you're going to cope differently and you're going to have more choices. I love that. Patty, mic drop, block. I think that's a great place to leave it because I think that our next conversation is going to pick up right where we left off right there. You guys are amazing. I know you were going at some point at uh, 27 minutes, uh, Lisa suggested the next topic. So I want to let you know, I decided when I bailed on the video and the audio that I was going to put myself to work and uh, write everything down in terms of mind joggers about what was talked about. Ooh. Defining Ooh. trust, uh, Patty on trust, Lisa self-trust, the list goes on and on and self-validation, uh, just such rich, great stuff. So I really, really appreciate it. So now we're at the time in this episode where we decide what we're going to talk about next time. But I think you probably already know, don't you? Some version of it, at least. You want to make it public or go offline? Good, the good girl dilemma. Sit. Mm. Can, can we do that? Can we do that, please? Please. <laughs> it's not my choice. I love it. I think there are a lot of good girls out there that in the back of your mind, you know, that's an issue. You know that you're struggling, but nobody's talking about it. Mm -hmm. Let's put it on the table. Come join us. You're in great company. Yeah. <laughs> Can we name it something like business and the good girl dilemma? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Called what? Like business and the good girl dilemma. Sure. Well, I think I think I am filled up and fueled and sourced for probably the next month. <laughs> thank, thank you all. And um, can we take the scheduling to to email? Does that work? It's fine with me. Let's go ahead and end the show, and I'll stay on to see if anybody wants to talk to work those things out. So, thank you all, all very much. And for those of you on LinkedIn that are. Uh, witnessing the live streaming, uh, make sure you go over to whathasmyattention.com and get a hold of each of these fabulous women. These are truly women in strong leadership and uh, reach out to them and uh, have your own private conversation. I'm sure everyone would love to hear from you. All right. So until next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. See you next time.